You know, one of the lies that we often believe, especially in American cultural Christianity, one of the lies we believe is that if we live the life that God has called us to live, that if we are obedient to Jesus, if we pursue the things he tells us to pursue, if we live the life that God has called us to live, we, one of the great lies we believe is that there will then be no struggle, <laughs> that it'll all be easy. And we believe this idea that God's redemption plan in and through our lives will always be easy. But anybody who's followed Jesus for any length of time in their lives and has obeyed him, even when he calls him, them to do hard things, knows that redemption is not always easy. Um, we often, you know, we, we will we'll experience God call us to something, whether it's to leave a sin behind, a sin pattern in our life, or whether it is God will call us to some new ministry or some initiative, or he'll call us to something like an adoption, or he'll call us to start a church, or he'll go whatever, and we think God is in this, he's called me to this, I'm going to go out and do it, and there is going to be no struggle, it's just going to be a climbing ascent, you know, up the mountain to get to where God is taking me. But I think of what the great American poet Mike Tyson said. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? And when we seek to live out the callings that God has placed in our lives, here's what the, here's what the scriptures say will happen. It says, you will face trouble. You know why? Because we do not battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and powers of the cosmic, dark forces of the world. And when you step out to do God's will in your life, there will be resistance. Because I believe that there is an enemy and there are demonic powers that want to discourage you and derail you from the things that God has called you to. And don't be discouraged when these things happen because the redemption plan of God is seldom easy. When you set out to do the will of God, there will always be struggles. And you must be prepared today to cling to the promises of God when your plans fall apart and when you meet resistance to the redeeming work of God. Here's an example. Some of you today are really excited about sponsoring a child. And you're like, hey, you know what? $38, we can do it. You're nudging your spouse. You're like, we can do that. Like, we can do that. We believe that God cares about children, and we, he cares about pulling people out of poverty. And you're like, yes. And we, we just sang the song, All the Poor and Powerless. You're like, I'm all about it. Like, I'm worshiping God. I believe God for great things. We can do it. $38 a month. You're going to take a packet. You're going to walk out of here today excited to get sponsor a child through Food for the Hungry. And you're like, yes, God is with me. And who could be against me? And here's what's going to happen. You're going to alter your budget, and you're going to make it work, $38 a month. We can do this. And then in three weeks, you're going to lose your Metro card, <laughs> and you're going to be out 127 bucks. Your budget's going to start squeezing real tight, or you're going to get a doctor bill from a doctor visit that you forgot about from six years ago from LabCorp or wherever, and you're like, I don't even know I took that test. And you're going to get that, and you're going to be like, oh, how are we going to make it with the budget? And that $38 that you were so excited about giving monthly is now going to get really difficult. And that's where you're going to be met with a question. Did God really call me to give $38 a month to a kid I've never met and to, in a place I've never been? But listen, here's the reality. Redemption is seldom easy. 
And child sponsorship, that is a form of being a part of the redeeming work of God in the world. And any kind of redemption is never easy, and it rarely goes how we plan, and we will be tempted to revert course. Another example is that you may have a sin pattern in your life, and you're ready to put it to death. And you're ready to find freedom from it. You're ready to break free from chains of codependency or alcohol or substance abuse or pornography or overeating or whatever. And you decide to go to our Celebrate Recovery ministry Monday nights at 730. And you say, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to overcome this sin pattern in my life. I'm going to do it because God wants me to. God says in his word that I'm more than a conqueror and that sin has no power over me. I can do this. And you go and you're excited and you are going to overcome the sin that so easily entangles you. But then a bad day at work or a fight with your spouse hits you. And you will be tempted in that moment to go right back to that old sin pattern for comfort. See, God desires for us to be free and for us to live out a life of redemption. But redemption is seldom easy. And it's often met with disappointments and setbacks and temptation and struggle. And in those moments, we have a decision to make. Do we trust God to see redemption through to the end? Or will we slide back into a life that is comfortable? And in our text today, we see Moses dealing with this very same reality. Our text picks up in Exodus 4, verse 29, but I want to set the stage a little bit because we're jumping from chapter 3 to late chapter 4 here, from last week to this week. Here's where we're at in the story. We know that the people of Israel are being oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. And last week, we saw God literally speaks to Moses in a burning bush, and he tells Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I am going to deliver your people from the Egyptians, and I'm going to use you. And God says, go to the Israelites and tell them that I will deliver them. And Moses is hesitant. And he's like, God, I don't, they won't believe me. They're not going to believe that I'm the deliverer. They're not going to believe me. And so God, what he does, he gives Moses some signs. He says, throw down your staff. Moses throws down his staff. It becomes a serpent. And he says, now Moses, reach out your hand. He reached out his hand. The serpent jumps back in his hand, becomes a staff again. And Moses is like, okay, that's cool. But that, I mean, they might just think like that's some like Chris Angel stuff and that, that might not be enough to convince them. And God says, well, how about this? Stick your hand in your, in your coat pocket. Moses sticks his hand in his coat pocket. He says, pull it out. He pulls it out and his hand is covered with leprosy. It's like all gnarled and nasty and gross. And God says, put it back. He puts his hand back, pulls it out, and the hand was good again. It was, was healed. And, Moses, and God says, show that to the people, and they'll, then they'll know that I'm with you. And he's like, but I don't know, God. Can you give me another sign? He says, if they still don't believe you, take water from the Nile and pour it onto the ground, and when it hits the ground, it'll become blood. And so he's got these signs. God has given these miraculous signs. And Moses is like, okay, that gives him some confidence. But he's still like, he's like, God, but I'm not a very good public speaker. I stutter. And he's like, I, I, you don't, I'm not the guy you want. And God, I love what he says. He says, Moses, question for you. Who made your mouth? And then Moses is like, okay, fine. Just says, God, please send somebody else. And God kind of cuts a deal with him. He says, Moses, I've I've chosen you. You're going to go. But your brother Aaron is still in Egypt. I'm going to call him out. And you and Aaron are going to be like a tag team. You're going to be the signs and wonders guy, and he's going to be the preacher. You tell him everything I've told you, and he'll tell the people, and he'll tell Pharaoh. And so Moses finally begins to trust God. There's this trust that he has with God, and he goes back to Egypt, and his father-in-law is supportive of him. He's excited, and the first thing he does, he gathers all the Israelites, and the leaders of the Israelites, and this is where our story picks up this morning. 
It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all of the elders of the people of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So Aaron goes, this is the the scene, Aaron goes and tells the people all that God told Moses. Aaron preaches a sermon. And then Moses turns a staff into a snake. He does a thing with his hands. And they're like, this is amazing. Aaron, God is going to deliver us. And Moses has signs to back it up. We know that this is true. The people of Israel, it says, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. They believed God was going to deliver them. I want you to imagine the most moving worship service you've ever been a part of. You ever been a part of a worship service where you're just like, God was in that room. And I felt God speaking to me, and I knew his presence was there, and I knew that he has the power to deliver me from all that hinders me. You ever had those worship experiences? This is what they had. And they fall on their faces. And you've got to think, I mean, they're just praising God. And you've got to think at this point, Moses is so confident. Moses is like, this is amazing. They believed me. The Israelites believed me. God was telling the truth. This is all real. God is going to deliver us. And so Moses and Aaron, now they've got this confidence. They've got a little bit of swagger. They go to Pharaoh, and they're thinking, this has all been easy up to this point, and, and we're going to go to Pharaoh, and we're about to be free. Like, we're about to be free. We're about to be out of slavery. And they go to Pharaoh, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? And why should I obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I'm not going to let Israel go. Think how deflating that must have been. After like success, after success, after success, after success, Moses is like on a high and he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, The the Lord? Who? Who? Is that, I've never heard of what? And Moses is probably thinking like, I I got magic tricks though, let me show you, you know. And and, and he's, and you know, Moses is probably confused. He's like, I I, I thought you'd be impressed. I thought this would go so differently. But we know the truth. Redemption is seldom easy. And it even gets worse in this story. Exodus 5 verse 4, it says, The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Why are you distracting them? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. He said, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall still impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, and may they labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So not only does Pharaoh reject Moses' request for deliverance, he doubles down on the oppression. And he says, you, you, you think your God cares about these slaves? These aren't his people, these are my people. And they're going to do what I say. And he says, look, I'm no longer going to have the foreman gather supplies for them. I'm going to make all the slaves gather their own supplies, all their, their own straw to make their bricks. And, uh, th- but they still need to make the same number of bricks each day. So he adds to their labor more work 
makes their job impossibly hard, keeps them busy. It's incredibly time-consuming. And now, in Pharaoh's mind, they don't have time to think about God's promises or dream about God's deliverance. He's trying to distract them with work from worshiping God. And at this point, the excitement about God's promises all but disappeared. Remember that worship service where they're all praising and they're remembering God's promises and they're believing God for great things and he's going to do a great work among us? They've already forgotten it. And it says they go out to Moses in verse 20. They find Aaron and him. They were waiting as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And the people are upset. But ironically, they're not upset with Pharaoh. Why? Because they've, they, they, they've lost a sense of reality. They're mad. They point the blame at Moses and to God himself. And it's not just the Israelites that are frustrated. Moses himself turns to God and says, Lord, why have you done this evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And Moses looks at God, and he says, God, you said you would deliver us, and I thought redemption would look way different than this. You are not coming through on the promise that you made. How many of you have had that same experience? God, you promised that I can overcome this thing in my life. God, you've said that you can restore broken relationships. God, you've promised that you can heal the wounds of my past. God, you called me to this ministry or to this vocation or to this family, and I feel like I have been met with nothing but obstacles. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there saying to God, I thought redemption, I thought a life surrendered to you would look a lot different than this, God. Where are you, and why have you done this? I thought walking with God would mean a constant string of never-ending victories, but it has felt like I've been punched in the gut and punched in the gut and punched in the gut. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Redemption and deliverance, walking in obedience to God is seldom easy, and it almost always looks far different than we expected. And why is that so? The reason that it looks different than we always expected is because in our minds, we play out best case scenario and we never imagine that there might be pharaohs in our lives that, try to, that are going to try to derail us from the plan that God has placed before us. There will always be pharaohs in our lives that stand in the way of our freedom and joy. Now, what do I mean by a pharaoh? I don't mean a literal king in the case of Moses. We don't live in that kind of government. But a pharaoh can be anything that hinders you from experiencing the freedom that God has called you to do or called you to. It can be anything that causes you to doubt God's faithfulness and trustworthiness in your life. Pharaohs can take the form of temptation. Perhaps they can even take the form of actual enemies that desire harm for you. Pharaohs can be disappointments or just merely circumstances in your life that are frustrating and slow you down from doing the things that you believe God is calling you to do. But the call of the Christian life, the call of the Christian life is to keep our eyes on the promises of God despite the distractions and the devastations that our pharaohs bring into our lives. Now, a couple things we learn about pharaoh Pharaoh in this text that can teach us about our own pharaohs. One, our pharaohs will cast doubt in our lives on the promises of God. That's what our pharaohs do. In chapter 5 
of Exodus. You've got this huge emotional swing. Chapter 4 is all about victory and God's promises and like rah-rah, like we are ready to go. We're behind you. And then there's like this huge emotional swing for Moses and the people. They hear God's promises and they see signs and wonders and miracles in chapter 4. They believe, they worship, they're convinced that God is with them and for them. And they walk out of a worship service with confidence and excitement. And then almost immediately their enthusiasm and their worship melt away. Because they weren't prepared for resistance. They weren't prepared for Pharaoh to resist. They weren't prepared for setbacks on the road to deliverance. And they almost immediately lost their confidence, and they lose their worship, and they lose the focus of their worship. Isn't that sad, but doesn't that happen to us all the time? All it takes is one small setback, and we take our eyes off of the promises of God. And what's interesting to note in this story is that when Pharaoh sends out a decree that they're going to work longer hours without the supplies, and that they were going to have to do more and more work, you would think that they would be like, man, this Pharaoh guy's a jerk. Why is he doing this to us? Why is he oppressing us? But that's not what they say. They look at Moses and they say, you did this. It was you that did this. And the Israelites go from belief and worship and confidence and hope to an outright rejection of Moses' leadership, complete loss of hope, and now they simply, then they simply resign themselves to the worst possible outcome. We're going to die in Egypt. Do you see how quickly they go from believing the promises of God to believing the worst case scenario? And it's not just the people, it's Moses as well. Moses loses faith. Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came here to speak your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Notice that Moses questions God. Why, Lord? He blames God. Ever since you brought me here, And he even accuses God. God, you haven't done what I expected you to do. This is all your fault. See, Pharaohs cast doubt on the promises of God. And it's safe to say that for Moses and the people, the Exodus event has not lived up to their expectations. They thought redemption would be easier. And when they faced the first glimpse of struggle, they not only lost sight of the promises of God, but they literally blamed God for their disappointment. God wasn't doing what they thought he should do when they thought he should do it, and they blamed him for it. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Let's be honest here. What are the pharaohs in your life that have made you doubt the presence and the promises of God? What are the pharaohs of disappointment or setback or temptation that have made you look to God and say, Why? Or you? The truth is, Pharaoh is to blame for their disappointment. Not God, not Moses. He's the one that's working them to the bone. He's the one that's robbing them of their joy and their hope. But they blame God and Moses. They've given up on complete deliverance and freedom. And now what they end up doing is they start trying to make deals with Pharaoh for temporary relief. Mike Wilkerson writes, he says, In the minds of the Israelites, it's as if God had brought the evil upon them and Pharaoh was the one who could, if appeased, return some good by way of relief. God had become the enemy and Pharaoh the ally. See, Pharaohs cast doubt on God, and what we end up doing is when we face a setback, we then believe that God is the enemy, and now that our Pharaohs are the allies. Here's what I mean by that. We often believe that Pharaohs offer, here's here's what's true about Pharaohs. They offer temporary relief. This is the second point. 
but they never actually give us freedom. See, the Israelites knew that being under Pharaoh's oppression was awful, and they knew that when, they, and they, and when Moses gave them a vision for deliverance, they were all for it. But when they were faced with a harsh reality that deliverance is seldom easy, that they had ticked off Pharaoh and he had made their life harder, in their discouragement, they decided, you know what, if we just submit to Pharaoh and do what he wants, he might let up. And they give up now. Remember, they were believing God for, for deliverance. Now they've given up on deliverance, and now they're like, maybe we can just get a little bit less slavery. And don't we do the same thing? We set out to overcome some sin pattern in our life. It may be an addiction. It may be some bitterness or unforgiveness that you're holding on to. And in the Christian life, you may set out, you say, I'm going to be free from the slavery of those things. But the truth is, anybody who's ever tried to untangle themselves from those things, you know that breaking the bonds of slavery is, is hard. And when deliverance gets hard, you will actually be tempted to turn back to those things for relief. Why? Because they're comfortable. And fighting for freedom can be uncomfortable. But don't you see how short-sighted this is? How crafty our pharaohs can be? Because you know, you, we all know in the long, whatever sin is in your life right now, you know that in the long term, it would, that, that sin is going to keep you in bondage. And that you would be better off in, the, for your, in your, the scheme of your life if you could break free from that. You know that. And you know that it's slowly killing you and slowly strangling you. But you know that to be free from that is going to take hard work. And in the short term, the relief that those things offer outweighs your desire for freedom. I think of an alcoholic, for example. They know that sobriety is the best thing for their life, ultimately. But in the moment, in the day-to-day, and anybody who has dealt with any kind of addiction, you know this. It's the most painful thing. It's the most painful thing. Sobriety, in the, in the moment, sobriety brings a ton of pain. So instead of pursuing freedom from sobriety, an alcoholic is daily tempted to turn back to the comforts of slavery. You can replace alcohol addiction with sex addiction, with holding on to bitterness. You can replace it with codependency. You can replace it with overeating. You can replace it with whatever Pharaoh in your life is. And Pharaoh's promise to offer us temporary relief, but they never will lead us to freedom. And what do you want to give your life to? To whom do you want to entrust your life to? A Pharaoh that promises to make you miserable in the long run, but offers temporary respite along the way? Or the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, who has promised freedom for life, even though that freedom may come with difficulty and struggle? What do you want? I used to, when I was in college, my college track coach, and cross-country coach, he used to tell us before races, he'd say, remember your goals. At the beginning of the season, we'd write out our goals, we'd put them on the mirror. We would look at our goals every day, and he would say, remember your goals and think about how badly you want them, that championship, that time that you want to run. And he says, remember your training. He says, you know, our, the coaching staff, we've prepared you to achieve those goals. The only thing now that stands in your way and those goals is the race. And he, said, he would always say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in the race, and once you start running, there's going to be pain. There's going to be a lot of pain. Your lungs are going to burn. Your legs are going to hurt. And he says, you'll be tempted to ease off the pace, 
so that you can get a little bit of temporary respite in your lungs and in your legs, but fight that temptation because you have to go through the pain to experience the victory. And he says, if you give up and you let up and you don't give it your all, you will live with regret for the rest of your life and you won't even reach your goals. He says, but if you push through the pain and you give it everything you've got through the race and you achieve your goal, he said, you'll achieve your goal. You push through the pain. And he would look us, I'll never forget, he would look us in the, like, he would always stand somewhere late in the race. Like, you know, three quarters of the way through the race. And he would lock eyes with us in the middle, uh, right on the cross country course. And he would say, Will, you're, you're not racing, you're surviving. Don't survive, race. And I think of the Israelites and I think of Moses. God told them what the finish line was going to look like. It's going to be deliverance and freedom in the promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. That is what the finish line will look like. He promised them that that's what they will. They will get there. But they thought that the race was going to be easy. And God never promised that the race was going to be easy. God never promised them that. They had filled in the blanks. And that's what we often do. God promises us that we will overcome sin, but, and that, but he never promises us that that journey is going to be easy. But we just fill in the blanks and go, oh, he's promising he's going to overcome sin. No problem. Let's do it. And then we're just dumbstruck when we get hit with resistance. God never promised us what the race was going to look like, but he promised us what the finish line is going to look like. And it will be victory, even though there will be pain on the way to it. Now, why is there pain? There's pain because it's in the pain that we learn to rely on the love and the power and the peace of God and not ourselves. And that is only learned through hard things. Now, the final thing I want you to see about pharaohs, they distract us from God. They offer temporary relief, but they never give freedom. But here's what's even truer than all that. Pharaohs fall to the promises of God. Pharaohs are no match to the promise of God. See, redemption and deliverance, becoming the person God is calling you to be and becoming free will take time and there will be setbacks. The sins and the shame that so easily entangle you today are going to take some time to untangle. It's like when you put your headphones in your pocket and you pull them out and you're like, how am I going to untangle this? That's the way our sin is. And it takes some time. But God is with us and he's promised that it will get untangled. And if you want to experience freedom, you must keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God and on the person of Jesus. See, when Moses questioned God, we get to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, God doesn't explain himself. He already did. (laughs) He's like, I explained myself in chapter 3 and 4. I told you I would deliver you. And Moses is like, why are you doing this to us, God? And God just repeats what he had already told him. He said, I'm going to deliver your people, and you're going to go to the land of milk and honey. You're gonna, I, you will experience deliverance. You'll experience freedom. And with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, I will deliver you. And God simply reminded Moses of the promises that he had already made. And for you and me today, we must not grow weary. We must learn to put on the full armor of God, and we must remember the promises that God has made us today, even when we experience setbacks. But thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does that victory come about? See, we have a promise far greater than Moses ever had. We have a promise that we would be delivered not just from from Egypt, 
but that we would be delivered from the domain of darkness, that sin would be removed, that he would split the sea of our sin and our shame and our death and we would walk through it. And how did that happen? It happened because Jesus left his home and came into a world full of slavery and sin. And not one step of Jesus' journey to redeem us was easy. Not one step of it. He was reviled. He was ridiculed. He was homeless. He was slandered. He was insulted. He was unjustly accused. He was unjustly sentenced to die. He was tortured, whipped, beaten, spit upon, pierced, and murdered. Redemption is seldom easy. And that was true for Jesus as well. Deliverance is never without pain. But Jesus went up against the most fearsome pharaohs that this world has. Sin, Satan, and death itself. And they killed him. The worst possible outcome happened. But pharaohs never have the last word when God has promised otherwise. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that pharaohs, even our pharaohs, even pharaohs like death, are pawns in the hands of a powerful and gracious God. Pharaoh could not stand in the way of what God wanted for Israel, and God would deliver them from Egypt no matter how hard-hearted Pharaoh was. And sin, Satan, and death could not stand in the way of what Jesus came to do on the cross. And whatever Pharaohs are in your way, lust, greed, pride, bitterness, they cannot stand forever because the promises of God say otherwise. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's a promise. You are being conformed into the image of Christ. It's going to take time, and there's going to be a lot of growing pains, and there's going to be a lot of setbacks, and it will not happen fully on this earth, but there will come a day where you will fall into the arms of Jesus himself. And sin will be no more and death will be no more. He is conforming you into the image of his son. Whatever pharaohs stand in your way, they cannot stand tall forever because the promises of God say otherwise. We're going to have a time to respond. We're going to have a time to receive communion in a moment. And our deacons, I would go ahead and invite our deacons to come up. They're going to be up here to pray for anyone who needs prayer this morning. And some of you just need to bring your big old pharaohs down here. (laughs) And you need to place them before God. And you need to surrender your I can't do it to God's I am and I will. And you need to bring those pharaohs of bitterness and brokenness and sin and sadness and greed and fear. And you need to bring them before Jesus and let us pray with you and remind you that Jesus is a deliverer. And he is the sure and faithful deliverer. And he will deliver you. Let's pray.